we turn to the word of God again. And this time we'll read Exodus. Exodus and chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5. This is the word of God. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? And let Israel go. I do not know the Lord. And I will not let Israel go. Then they said. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three day journey into the desert. To offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Or he may strike us with plagues. Or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. And then Pharaoh said, Look, the people of this land are now numerous, and you are stopping them from working. Same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and the four men in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men, so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. Then the slave drivers and the foremen went out and said to the people, This is what Pharaoh says, I will not give you any more straw. Go and get your own straw, wherever you can find it but your work will not be reduced at all. So the people scattered all over Egypt to gather stubble to use for straw. Slave drivers kept pressing them, saying, complete the work required of you for each day, just as when you had straw. The Israelite four men appointed by Pharaoh's slave drivers were beaten. And were asked, why didn't you meet your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Then the Israelite four men went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw, yet we are told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. Pharaoh said, 
lazy. That's what you are, lazy. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now get to work. You will not be given any straw. Yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. The Israelite foremen realized that they were in trouble when they were told, you are not to reduce the number of bricks required of you for each day. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And they said, may the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench to Pharaoh and his officials and have put the sword in their hand to kill us. Moses returned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has brought trouble upon this people. And you have not rescued your people at all. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. Amen. Can we turn then for a, a short while uh, to the passage that we, we read? Uh, Exodus chapter 5. I'm going in uh, slightly to chapter 6. Well, it's been a year now since this... Uh, devastating pandemic took hold in our country. For the vast majority of that year, we have been unable to meet together. That which is most precious to us, I would suggest, on this earth, the meeting of God's people to come before him publicly and collectively, and to praise his most holy name was, for very good reason, taken away. I wonder if you recall, uh, as, as I do, maybe in those early weeks of the first lockdown, uh, where there was some talk Understandably, maybe, well, well what, what, what is God doing in this circumstance? Is he, is he preparing a way for a revival? Is he using uh, this devastating circumstance to push men and women and boys and girls to Christ? There was, as I said, this is no criticism uh, there was some speculation in relation to that. But here we are a year later. 
no revival. Here we are a year later after a very hard and arduous year with, understandably, less numbers gathered together than previously. If we look at the church, certainly across the, the, the Western world, we wouldn't necessarily say things have got better. There seems to be fractures. High-profile Christian leaders have been shown to be sinners, have shown themselves to, to not live up to that which they preached. You yourself may be feeling weary. You you may be um, thinking, well, I, I throughout this, this time I, I, I have used this time to, to get into the Bible. I have used this time to to revive my prayer life, but things are still hard. We've all, albeit some more than others, been touched by the circumstances that we found ourselves in in the past year. And we may be tempted to think, well, I thought that if I did what God wanted, then he would, he'd take care of the hard stuff. That if I was obedient to God's call in my life, well, my life would, would kind of shift through the gears and it would run more, more smoothly. I, I would be motoring in my Christian life. And actually what has happened is maybe you think the more obedient that you've been to what we know God asks of us, well, the bumpier the road seems to be the more difficult our pilgrimage seems to be so we've been looking at this short series in exodus we've we've jumped a little bit um, because uh, a month ago i i thought it wise to look at the the covenant uh, and that's why we we jumped um, the last time i i preached uh, we jumped on in the book uh, to look at the covenant for, for particularly at that at that time and the circumstances that we're in at the time. But now we're back into the narrative. And we're back here uh, now at chapter 5. So you remember that uh, Moses went to, to Jethro. He said, I have to go back to Egypt. He returns back to, to Egypt. There's the, um, the story of, of how he... Uh, how he gets back there, the incident with uh, with Zipporah and, and Moses' son. And here they are now back in Egypt, back in this land of exile. There's been, we you remember we we noted there's been somewhat of a of a revival there back in chapter four and at the end. Moses, before the people of Israel, performed signs. They believed. 
And when they hear the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. But now this enthusiasm seems to come to an abrupt and a jarring halt as it butts up to the ignorance and rebellion of Pharaoh. So what's going on? What's going on? How, how can we make sense of this when obedience to God is not followed by ease and comfort, but is followed by suffering, hardship, and discouragement? The arc, if you like, of the, the chapter has uh, Moses and, and Aaron at the beginning, and then you have the, the, the narrative, the story of, of what's happening with Pharaoh and the order in relation to the bricks and the straw. And then at the end of the chapter, going into chapter 6 again, you have Moses and Aaron, and they plead before God. But what this chapter does is that it tells us how we are to understand a earthly pilgrimage which is marked by suffering, hardship, and discouragement. And I want to see three things within this chapter. Firstly, a pattern of service. Secondly, a pathology of sin. And then finally, the plan of the Savior. The pattern of service, the pathology of sin, and the plan of the Savior. First of all, then, let's, let's think of this pattern of service. What happens in relation to Moses and Aaron's appearances within this chapter? Well, the, the first, verses 1 to 5, focuses on preaching and proclamation. First part of the chapter, the first uh, incident within this chapter that we come up against, Moses and, and Aaron, is that they're preaching and they're proclaiming the truth of God. And then at the end of the chapter, they're praying. They're making their petitions known to God. And that's what we are all to do. Wherever God has, has placed us, uh, whether we preach with a small p in terms of, of, of our lives and our conversations with our neighbours, nonetheless, we are all engaged, should be all engaged, about speaking to people about God and reminding each other as God's people of the goodness of God and encouragement that is to be found in him.
So the first thing that, that, that Moses does here is that he preaches. So what does he say? Well, it's there in, in verse 1. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. They deliver God's message to Pharaoh. Now, why is that? What's, what's central to the message? He, Moses doesn't say here, well, well, alleviate. Alleviate the people's suffering. Or he doesn't say, well, uh, we've, we've got a homeland. We've, we've been here in servitude, in slavery to you now for, for generations. It's only right and fair and just that you let us go. Let us go home. He doesn't say that. He says, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. There's a theme coming out here. I, I trust you're, you're seeing in relation to what we've seen in relation to, to Exodus. And that's that, that the reason that we are saved, the reason that the children of Israel were delivered, the same reason that we are delivered from our sins, the same reason that God enables us to be the believer in Jesus Christ, that we are, sin, we are saved from sin and death and hell, is first and foremost not that God wants to make much of us, but that he wants us to make much of him. First and foremost, yes, God sets his love upon us. Yes, God saves us. Yes, he wants to make much of us. But that is secondary to God wanting us, first and foremost, to make much of him. He wants himself and his son and his spirit to be at the sun and center of our solar system, of our lives. He wants our lives to revolve around him. Same way that we said to the children in the catechism. Because he made us, he knows our position. He knows that we are made to worship him. And that's the, that's the purpose. We saw it in chapter 4. We're seeing it again now in chapter 5. And when we jumped to the covenant, that was the purpose of the covenant. That we are to make God the center of our lives. The Christian experience can't just simply be a bolt-on. It has to be the guiding principle 
the way in which we order our lives, not just simply on a Sunday, but in every day, that by God's grace, he gives us. And then the second thing that you see within within this, the proclamation. I said, didn't I, that, that they don't come to Pharaoh as, as spin doctors. They don't try to make any attempt whatsoever to say to you, well, it'll be good for you, Pharaoh. It's a good thing to do. Think, think of your status within Egypt if you let us go. They didn't try to spin the message. They didn't casually and loosely interpret the message of God. What do they do? Well, they're clear. They're direct. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Subtext of that is Moses saying, this isn't my words. Pharaoh, it's not me that's standing before you today. It's the Lord God of Israel. This is what he says. And that's what preaching and proclamation is. I do think we've lost some of that in which in the age in which we live and and maybe over the past year. What we do on a Sunday, what we do in terms of Bible studies, this is not this is not thought for the day, my friends. This is not some kind of jolly message to send you on your way into the week. I remember being struck uh, quite early on in my Christian life. Teenager. I came across the uh, the second, what's called the second Helvetic confession, written in the mid-1500s in Switzerland. Confession for the, for the Swiss church. And one thing that, that the confession says is, is the preaching of the word of God is the word of God. What does that mean? Because if that's true, that's amazing. If that's true, that should stop you in your tracts. Preaching of the word of God is the word of God. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that anybody who stands in a pulpit uh, magically takes on some sort of shaman-like appearance and whatever they say is the word of God. Well, if that was true, uh, we'd be in a sorry state. A mere troll through the internet will tell you that. What it does mean is this, and this isn't my words, Uh, this is the words of uh, Professor Hubble Jones uh, in a paper that he wrote on Calvin's preaching in Geneva. And Professor Jones says this, preaching is talking God's talk after him. Preaching is talking God's talk after him. Now, what he means by that is the faithful proclamation of the word of God. The putting the word of God central. 
That's, that's why our architecture of this church is like it is. It's so that people can hear the word of God. Nothing else. That's why it's, it's structured in the way in which it is. And anybody who has either preached or, or has taken a Bible study knows that first and foremost, you have to be faithful to the text. You have to ensure that, that you know, to use the word, the exegesis, the meaning. The meaning of the text and the context is absolutely faithful. You're not there to give your views on social justice. You're not there to give your views on the topic of the day. What we're trying to do in relation to this passage and to any other passage, but I trust anybody who stands in this pulpit or gives a Bible study within this church does, is what is God saying? So that we can, as far as, as is humanly possible for a saved sinner to be, that we can say, this is what the Lord God of Israel says. And that is where Pharaoh starts. And then at the end, at the end, there's a petition. They were preaching, and now they are praying. The, both things form the bracket to this chapter, the, the bookend of the chapter. And in between, we've got Pharaoh denying the request. Pharaoh has responded to the commands, not of Moses, but of God, with menace, and have created deeper burden and suffering for the people of Israel. I mean, the very graphic uh, reply of uh, the four men uh, that, that you read there in verse 21 sums up exactly what they thought their position before Pharaoh was. We, we stink in their sight. It's your fault, Moses and Aaron. What, de what deliverers have you turned out to be? How does Moses and Aaron respond? Well, they respond in prayer. They come before God and they lay their petitions down. We saw, didn't we, we noted in, in chapter 4 that obedience, faithfulness, results in fruitfulness. We saw that in terms of where uh, Moses starts in chapter 4, his delayed obedience, and then at, at the, the end, we see the people of Israel bowing down and worshipping. We saw that faithfulness results in fruitfulness. But in this chapter, we can add another principle. We can say that faithfulness 
ordinarily leads to fruitfulness, but also fruitfulness ordinarily comes after delay, discouragement, and reversals. And chapter 5 here is just that. It's a season of delay and discouragement for the people of God. But even within that, look how Moses responds. He knows that God has promised that God has told him by his very words that the people of Israel will come out of Egypt. And that despite all the complaints, despite the personal attacks that he is now suffering, he knows, because we are told in chapter 4 and verse 21, We're told exactly what God is going to do. He knows that Pharaoh's heart will be hardened. So how does he approach God? How does he make his petitions known? Known to to God. Well, he pursues him. He presses God to deliver on his promises. He's unsurprised by the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, but he's brokenhearted over the sufferings of Israel. And he says, uh, brings before God, these are your people. You have commanded me to speak your word. That is what I am doing. Will you let your, your, your covenant fail? Are, are, your, are your promises worthless? Do we pray like that? Do we? Collectively, we've, we've been through the hardest year that we could have possibly imagined. Personally, the older you get, the more you look back and you see difficult times, as well as the good times. How do we approach God? Do we pursue him? Do we bring his promises before him? It's a phrase of the Puritans. We must sue God for his promises. Press over his promises. Bring to him, not that God needs to be reminded, but bring to him in prayer. What he has said. If we do that, then our our prayers are bold, insistent, and not confident in themselves, but confident in God and what he has promised. I wonder, how do we come before God? How do we pray? 
And then we see a pathology of sin. Well, we're more or less familiar with this phrase, pathology. We've read it in our newspapers. We've seen it on the televisions over uh, over the past year. Pathology is, is how a disease works, how, how it operates within the, the body, what effects it has upon us. And what we see in Pharaoh here is a pathology of sin. A pathology of sin. You see it playing out uh, in an entire civil civilization, brutalizing another. Um, Pharaoh ordering and, and ensuring via the four men to, to take away straw, doubling effect the work that would be required to make the bricks to build Egypt, but requiring that that quota be met. And if it's not met, then there is punishment. Heavier work laid upon them. And you can, you can see his, his view. Well, uh, why are they complaining? They're complaining because they're lazy. But his real reason is he doesn't want them listening to Moses and, and Aaron. In his words, in Pharaoh's words, these liars. Give them more work. Make the burden harder so that they don't listen to these liars, as he says. So that you see, you see the effects of sin uh, that is in Pharaoh, the opposition to the word of God and how that, that, that entire industry then is set against to defeat and to crush the children of Pharaoh, the children of Israel, I'm sorry. So what stands behind all this why is is this 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 pathway going down and down and down well it all has all centers upon the heart of pharaoh and it's summed up there in verse 2 and this is a clear and concise um, summary of, of what the unbelievers view is of God and of our Savior. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. That's Pharaoh's response. Uh, there's no king other than Pharaoh. I am in charge here. He says, I don't recognize this God. And uh, with this God of, of Israel, I will not have him to rule over me. I am in charge, he says. I will not bend the knee to another. Don't we recognize that? Can't we see even all these thousands of years later the same 
pathology of sin working in people and in society. We'll not have God to rule over them. There's the, there's the, 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 the comparison. On the one hand, Moses is saying God wants you to put him at the center of your life. And the man of sin says, I will not have this God to rule over me. I will not have it. But thankfully that brings us to the third point. The plan of the Savior. If we finished in chapter 5, it would be pretty dire. It would be a pretty depressing message this morning. But it doesn't. Uh, to some extent, the, the chapter divisions are uh, artificial. Um, and we read this in the first verse of chapter 6. Then the Lord says to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of the country. God, even in that suffering, even in that darkness and despair, he is setting the stage for the maximum display of his glory and grace. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes God allows, and in all of our lives, God allows suffering, allows problems, allows issues, loss, tears to come into our lives. That is our lot in a sinful world. But he does so. He does so so that he can have the maximum glory within our lives. Salvation belongs to the Lord. He says, my grace is sufficient for you and my strength is made perfect in weakness. Turn, if you can, to uh, John 19. And we'll be, I guess, considering these events, particularly in the next uh, couple of weeks. But in all the chapters, I guess, of the Bible, John 19, at least for me, is, is the one that brings out uh, the nature of our Saviour's suffering. Crying out in dereliction. Suffering unspeakably. It, our Lord has gone down into the darkness of Golgotha so that he might bring his light into our lives. 
So I don't think it's too much to suggest that when God here says, see what I will do, see what I will do through the suffering that you have experienced, that that points to a greater suffering. The sufferings of Israel would work their salvation, pointing to the sufferings of Christ that works our salvation. The sufferings of the cross by which God works a greater salvation to all who believe. Glory out of pain. Salvation out of suffering. Redemption from the horror of the cross. That's how God worked in the sufferings of Israel. That's how God worked supremely in the sufferings of his only begotten son, our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Do you not think, do you not think that God will do the same in your life? But whatever suffering we are going through, whatever difficulty that we are going through, God will, in his providence, work that for our good. God is sovereign. He's a safe harbor. He's a perfect rest amidst the storm. We've seen, haven't we, in in Deuteronomy on 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 a Wednesday night, and those Incredible words that God is our refuge, that God that underneath us are the everlasting arms. That gives us comfort in our difficulty. So with our trials and our sufferings, our Confusion, maybe even not just about the last year, but uh, things in our past or in our present that we are currently perplexed with. We go to God like Moses and Aaron. We plead the promises of God. We plead to be faithful to his words. We Ask that he will be the centre and compass of our lives. We lean on his promises that his grace is sufficient for us. And sometimes, sometimes when we obey God from an earthly perspective, things don't get better. Sometimes they get worse. But he's doing that to press us into him and into his son. And what underlines all of that is him saying, now you will see. Now you will see what I do. 
Let me, God says, let me in your life show you my glory and show you my grace. May such things be true of us. Shall we all pray? To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.